I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, as you know, it's another episode. And today's episode's a cracker. It's Danny Wallace was super hyped to do this episode because Danny was someone that I'd had in mind right from the very beginning of this this podcast that as someone that I really wanted to chat to after hearing him on Scroop's Distraction Pieces, I was like, got to get Danny on. And, and in a weird kind of way, all of that helped to actually get this date in the diary, which we touch upon at the beginning of this podcast anyway. Um, we discuss... Danny's life, obviously, and, and the songs that have soundtracked his creative journey, and and he's goes in on some or well, many places that he's lived, and many different sort of jobs he's done within his his career as a as a writer, broadcaster, DJ, you name it. We 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 do discuss the lot on this episode. So before we get on with it, um, big thanks first of all to Danny for coming and doing this. Thanks for Scroob for helping facilitate this and I should say thanks to everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network actually. There's a, a huge bundle of amazing podcasts over there and I'm very proud to be involved in that gang of people. Um, thanks to 76 for producing this. Thanks to my name is Ad for the cover artwork on this and if you like this episode then please subscribe and, and go and have a look in the back catalogue because there's loads of other episodes with actors bands djs producers comedians go there's 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 bundles there to get stuck into so please go and have a rummage around there and if that's not enough for you and you want some more then i do have a patreon page where i also put an exclusive episode on there each week and and there's also t-shirts and art prints and all sorts of stuff available so if you want to find out about every single thing i've just been banging on about www off the beaten track podcast.com it's all there one-stop shop let's get back to the job at hand please enjoy off the beaten track podcast with the wonderful danny wallace i've got an announcement save our souls clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk why am i telling you this because they're our official sponsor yeah that's right Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. 
They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Right, we are recording. We are in a nice hotel uh, in Soho. And I'm joined today by Danny Wallace. Hello, Stu. Thanks for having me. It is a nice hotel, but we are sort of in a, in a very weird, tiny outdoor terraced bit. Yeah. Um, surrounded by pot plants. And um, I bet you we're going to hear builders. Yeah, but I mean, we, we, we undenied about whether or not to record out here. Because there might be a little bit of, sort of background noise. But I put the... Do I call them cans in in the world of podcasting? Yes, and, and I music, suppose yeah? you can. Yeah. So I put the cans on, and uh, and there was no there was no background noise. So if you guys pick up on anything, then uh, it's uh, it's it's not to worry about. Because when we looked in in the hotel room, there was no table for the mic stands. No. If it bo- if there is any building noise and it bothers people, they can always write to their MP. Exactly. Exactly. Or March. That's what people do yeah, these days. That's what everyone's doing. Uh, all right. Well, look. Thanks ever so much for doing this, Danny. It was um, it kind of come about in a in a weird way, right? Yeah. So I heard you on my pal Pip's podcast. That's right. Yeah. And then Pip and I also have a magazine called the Pod Bible. That's right. And when I got asked what was my favourite podcast episode, pained me obviously to big up one of my mates. <laughs> no one wants to do that, do they? And uh, but it was the episode with yourself on on Scroobs and which was so nice of you um, it you. was really 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 nice and a, a wonderful surprise and I enjoyed talking uh, with uh, with Pip yeah. um, I, I don't know him well enough to call him Pip yet do you know what I mean when people well, what would you call him you won't call him Scroobius I suppose I'd have to call him Scroobius Pip <laughs> 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 we haven't reached that level yet where I'm allowed right. to call him Pip <laughs> and it was yeah it was it was an episode that Every now and again, like I'll see something or I'll hear something that it sounds it sounds like I'm blowing smoke up your ass here, Dan. <laughs> but but like inspired me and like oh. fired me up. Wow! Because uh, your your upbringing was amazing. From what? From what um, well, hopefully we will talk about some of that today yeah, as course. well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we But yeah, if you do enjoy this thing, go and check out Danny on Pips as well. 
So, okay, so we always start a podcast with track one, which is a song with the greatest intro. Yes. Um, I'm aware of that, and I'm aware that there have been some uh, brilliant songs chosen with incredible intros. Um, but for me, an intro, it's like... Um, what I'm about to say won't, you know, for a lot of people, be the greatest intro of all time. But for me, it sort of is. Because right. when uh, you hear a song on the radio or it, it comes at you at a surprise and you hear that, that familiarity, all these memories come rushing back and all this excitement and it places you at a certain time. So for me, it was a toss-up between either um, <laughs> the beginning of Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters, obviously the Citizen Kane of comedy. Yep. Um, or what I've gone for, um, Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News. Mm -hmm. Because that immediately places me back in the early 80s when uh, Back to the Future came out, which had this incredible impact on me and probably on, on my work since it was this high concept. And we all know Back to the Future, but for a kid watching it, this high concept, what if scenario with a kid as cool as Marty McFly, who... I immediately started like buying looking and fast forward anything that might have a Marty McFly poster in it yeah any of those magazines uh, I, I would have it uh, I started wearing a body warmer yeah and a checked shirt and I remember the greatest compliment uh, a kid at school ever paid me was um, that my body warmer made me look a bit like Marty McFly I'll take that mate yeah so it was just this iconic moment and uh, all those films that came out in that exact period I think married um, a high concept with um, great comedy and also great soundtracks yeah. um, that, that, that really impacted on me and sort of informed what I wanted to do. Do you think that still exists, that, that, that connection of big soundtracks with, 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 with big movies? Like, because I think uh, throughout the 90s, obviously, with Pulp Fiction, Trainspotting, things like that, it was, it was huge. But do you think that still exists to the level it did then? Because just thinking of... Power of Love and, and uh, Back to the Future. Straight away, I think Stand by Me. Yeah. And I think Mannequin with the uh, the Starship record. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and but so many come hand in hand with with huge tunes, and Top Gun, and, and things like that. Yeah. And they would actually have the you know the, they would then go on top of the pops or, or yeah. record a special music video with yeah. the cast, and it just became this like package. And I think that I think it's probably every generation. Um, tries to bring stuff back from their childhood. So mm. nowadays we're getting things like Guardians of the Galaxy mm. um, and you know James Gunn and people who, who remember um, that and, and sort of refer to those kind of mixtapes that we mm. all would have and you'd wait and you yeah. know, that thing of you know, trying to record it off the radio and trying to cut off the DJ before he started speaking. Um, I think that, yeah, so, so now I think it is, it's coming back for my generation just yeah. as the next generation will have theirs. Okay, okay. And... But there's nothing cooler than when that comes on. You want to grab a skateboard, um, run down the high street, yeah. and 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 hang on to the back of a bin lorry. That's did how you it makes me that? feel. Did I ever go? Uh, what? I hold on to the back of a car on a skateboard. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, very very slow because I convinced my mum to buy me a skateboard. Right. And I'd seen all kids on skateboards all around. I was in Loughborough at that point, and there was kids on skateboards, and they could just they were amazing. They could just push off and it's got all the way down the street but my mum bought me one from like Intersport um, that was about $9.99 um, and it's a lovely nod to Intersport there <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> home of the bum bag and, it, and, it, and it, it didn't go very fast at all it yeah. was a lot of effort it was extraordinarily tiring yeah. it was like a full body workout just yeah. to go 30 feet um, so I did try once clinging onto the back of uh, mum's Nissan Micra 
In fact, just before it was stolen, well, obviously before it was stolen, not after, or not during. That, yeah. that would have been exciting. Um, but that, that Nissan Micra was later found at the bottom of a reservoir uh, somewhere in Leicestershire. And in it were two of my favorite things. There was Now, that's what I call Music 11, I think, or something, uh, and the soundtrack for Back to the Future. What else was on that soundtrack? On um, now that's what I call oh on, on Back to the Future yeah I'm just trying to think what other songs were on it well there was Johnny Be Good of course which I would listen to on my Walkman until the battery was like properly running yeah. down at which point it became a very slow ballad yeah but quite sort of uh, <laughs> but still quite pleasing to listen to you know because you could learn the lyrics better that yeah. way that was the that was the benefit of uh, you know nowadays things just stop yeah um, your iPod just stops your phone yeah. just stops but back then you could get another hour out yeah. of it. You know, and if you held down fast forward slightly, yeah, you could sort of get the Never pace done back. That. That's a great show. Um, so yeah, so Johnny Be Good was the big one for me um, uh, after Power of Love um, and see? Stuck in Time. I just remembered that as well. That was a, a Huey Lewis written specifically for um, specifically for the soundtrack. Did you see the recent video of the Coldplay show where Michael J. Fox come out and they played Johnny Be Good? I did not, but I'm doing that. As soon as we <laughs> finish, worth a look, mate. Yeah, worth a look. No, absolutely. Um, Huey Lewis as well. Like, he was a pop star then. I mean, I've, I've looked at, uh, you know, done a bit of research, and down, we're, we're of the same age. Yeah, and uh, and Huey Lewis. How old do you reckon he was? He had a gravelly voice. But he looked like one of your dad's mates, even though I bet he was about 25. Completely. Because <laughs> then I would go and I'd, I'd go down to the corner shop and try and find, you know, any albums. They, they never had, they all, all they ever had was like a Michael Jackson cassette and no one ever bought it. And I had to save up to buy that eventually. But I, I, I managed to get some of the Huey Lewis stuff. And um, my God, there's one, I think it's called like Sports Bar or something. And it's a picture of Huey Lewis and his friends, the news. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It looks like a meeting at a golf club. Yeah. It looks like, yeah, it's one of those nights where your dad has invited his friends around yeah. and suddenly he becomes like a normal person, yeah. not your dad. Um, so yeah, Huey, That was pop stars in the 80s though, wasn't it? I think it was to a certain extent. And um, I mean, you could, never, you could never really say that Huey Lewis and the News were cool. I think. I mean, maybe they were at one point. Well, they, they were hip to be square, though, weren't hip they? Hip to be square, um, which uh, I won that um, on a, as a vinyl single at uh, Loughborough Town Fair. Um, I was able to choose two singles, and there was um, Hip to be Square, and there was something by a band called Flasher, um, which I've never heard of, and I don't think I've ever listened to, because yeah. I was a bit embarrassed as a kid, because I knew what that meant. Yeah. And the, and the front cover is just a man flashing. Um, but I found them the other day. Oh really? Yes, yeah, so I've still got it. So maybe I'll uh, I'll whip that out what's, to, to what's quote Flasher. What, <laughs> what is Flasher? Was it rock? Was it? I don't know. I've never right. listened to it. <laughs> um, but it was uh, it was you know well put together. It was red vinyl. Okay, right. Track two, Danny. The first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. This is a weird one. Weird why? Um, weird because it did have an emotional impact on me, a proper one, but it, it had an emotional impact on uh, on a young boy, me. Um, uh, who really had nothing to relate it to, apart from the sort of the, 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 the pure emotion of it and the, and the quiver in Dolly Parton's voice when she's singing Jolene, right? And um, I, I hadn't even had, you know, uh, uh, a whisper of a rumour of a hint of a girlfriend. Yeah. Um, but I could hear in this woman's voice the pain and the sparse lyrics, the kind of the pure storytelling, how she was able to convey this entire life and um you know this um this position that she was in a real position of weakness and desperation in just a few words and she's just going look jolene you know 
fellas like you, you've got no problems. I've got my guy, it's all I've got. Please don't take him away. And um, for some reason, that really had an impact on me, just hearing someone yeah. almost begging in song. And nowadays, I think that that would be very, very, um, a very different uh, song because yeah. it would be instead going, all right, mate, you know, if Jolene's so good, why don't you, why don't you go off with Jolene? Yeah. Leave me, you know. Um, so, so it's, uh, and yet that story and that sadness is a proper human emotion and something that people go through um, constantly, no matter the, so the social climate. And there's another song. There's a song called um, I'll Kill Her by someone called Soko, which is a sort of quite um, a similar situation, but coming at it um, from a completely different angle and one yeah. of anger as well, just kind of going, we were supposed to have a brilliant life together, and now this woman has nicked that future away from me. We were supposed yeah. to have a little boy and a little girl called Susan born in Japan, and now that's all been robbed from me, and I'll kill her. And um, I like... For the same reasons, yeah. the sort of the, the 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 sort of the heart bursting yeah. kind of honest angle. So yeah, so Jolene is it's a strange uh, it's a strange choice for me, but um, but I do remember almost my eyes welling up yeah. listening to it. If if I was ever to do this list myself, yeah, Jolene would be mine. Really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Um, my. So what's the story there? The, the story would be purely spending a lot of time around my grandparents as a kid, and. They had a bundle of albums that I wasn't particularly interested in or knew anything about. Yeah. But I remember thinking Dolly Part on the best of Dolly Part, and she looked really pretty. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so I just remember putting that album on. And there's there's a there's I mean I'm no Dolly Part expert, but there was a song on there called Co Many Colours, and there was another oh, song yeah. on there called Applejack, and I've never heard them songs since. I don't. I was I've then. never heard of Applejack. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jolene and and it is. The fact that her voice cracks mm. and it is that desperation. Yeah. And and I guess it's a lot of songs aren't quite as storytelling as as, as that song. It's yeah. quite easy to understand, isn't yeah. it? And it's Simple kind of story spoon fed well to you. And yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah, that would that would definitely have been mine as well. Wow, that's good mm. to know. Yeah, it, it's funny that, isn't it, when uh, when you're a kid and we didn't really have many um many albums in the house. Well we did, but it was all like opera. <laughs> um and then we just had there was one Beatles album which was just ballads, and there was a Johnny Cash album. And so those tended to be the ones that I would listen to yeah. until I could get down the library yeah. and rent Queen or whatever. Yeah. You know, um, so they, they has a real impact. So how old was you in Jolene? Well, Jolene, I was probably only about nine. Okay. You know, um, so when I say, uh, you know, earlier when I said there wasn't even the hint of a rumor of a girlfriend, I didn't really know what girls were. Yeah. But I, you know, I knew what a family unit was, and I knew what love was yeah and the sort of the purity of her voice yeah and just the sort of the rising the way that the song builds and it's got that kind of quick pace to it um, yeah it's sort of a sense of urgency yeah there is a sense of urgency about that so yeah. that's, a, that's an important thing to, to throw in there because it almost feels like the music is powering along but it feels like her voice is kind of half time to the music it's, yeah it's, it's, it's quite a weird sort of it's like the situation's unstoppable and she's yeah. trying to stop it yeah that's know? nailed it there mate so where was you at this point? Where was where that was home? That would have been in Loughborough. So we'd left uh, we'd left uh, Dundee, where I'd um, where I'd grown up, um, and which I, I, I still really felt was my home. I still do. I feel um, I feel British first, but then I feel Scottish. And um, and we moved to Leicestershire, 
where no one could really um, understand my accent because I had a very, very strong Dundonian accent at the yeah. time. And how old was you when you moved? I was about eight. Right. So, you know, just sort of going back to, to listening to you on Pips, you, you moved quite a lot throughout your life, haven't you? Mm. And, like, how do you find that? And now, have you got your own children now? Yeah, I do. Like, yeah. How, how would you feel about moving them? And, like, because for me, the thought of being moved schools when I was a child would have been, like, horrific, the thought of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just I couldn't have imagined it. Yeah. And, and, like, how was that? It was, um, it, it was good. I don't remember my heart sinking. It must have sunk at some point when, when you're essentially told, we're going to move away to a random place you'd never yeah, heard yeah, of. Yeah. And there's no email at that point. There's no you know, phones. You can't keep in touch with your friends as, in the way that you might want to. Um, but we did it. Um, and we, we moved to Berlin for a year. And my dad just bought a camper van. I'll never understand why we didn't fly. But we, you know, he bought a camper van, an old VW banger, and we drove from Loughborough to Berlin. And it was a, it was a great year. It was a brilliant time to be there. The wall uh, had just come down, very exciting. I went to an American school, which is, you know, again, made me feel a bit like Marty McFly. Yeah. Um, that's all. I just wanted to meet Americans at that point. Yeah. Things have changed since then. But uh, at that point, um, you know, that was the most exciting thing in the world. And I met people that I would never normally have met and suddenly developed friends who were all over the world. And I wanted some of that for my kids. And so when we decided we were gonna get out of London, um, I was like, why don't, we, why don't we do something with the kids? Why don't we take them? Why don't we show them? Why don't we let them do that? And so we moved to LA um, and we just moved to LA for a year. The idea was we'd go there, drink in the sunshine, again, let the kids meet people they would never normally have met and do things they would never normally have done. Um, and it was a wonderful year to do that and it had a huge effect on my son in the way that it had an effect on me. Um, it taught him how to speak to almost anybody. Because um, I'm an only child and so I had to make friends very, very quickly. Was you confident? Um, I guess I found it because you have to. Because yeah. otherwise you end up in a Spanish hotel for a week with your parents and yeah. no one to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> and so you immediately run off to the games room and see someone who's roughly your age and start chatting. Yeah. And my son does that, and he, he you know, he and my daughter, and um, they can, they can, they can make friends in, in moments now. Wow, that's a, that's a great skill to have. It's good to be able to walk yeah. into a room uh, and just go, "Hello, this yeah. is me. Who are you?" Yeah, um, and not worry about it. Yeah, and part of it is lying. Yeah, part, part, yeah, of part, course. Yeah, yeah. Um, part of it is uh, pretending you have that. Um, but uh, but no, it's good. And he went to this cool school. It's called Wonderland. And um, is this in LA? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we, um, and you know, apart from you know the uh, the threat of earthquakes and the shooter drills, yeah. um, the school was wonderful. Uh, but it was there were kids there, uh, you know, uh, who 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 didn't have you know two cents to rub together, and at the same time, um, there was like Pharrell's son. Right. So you had a, a proper mix of the world, which is why I always like state schools. Yeah. Um, because you meet everybody. Yeah. And that is the way to be. Yeah. That's healthy, isn't it? Yeah. Track three, Danny. The song that reminds you of your school days. Well, on that note, when we'd moved from Dundee, as I say, I had this very strong Scottish accent. So strong as to be almost impenetrable to some of the people in Leicestershire who were just like, what are you? And my accent started to fade quite quickly. And um, my mum is Swiss, so she's got a Swiss accent. 
my dad's from the north uh, of England. So there was no one to back up my accent. There was no brothers, no sisters. There was no one else Scottish, which is why I, I fell in love with the Proclaimers, um, because they were singing in their accent. It wasn't the sort of thing that was happening in the 80s of everyone suddenly, from the DJ on the radio to the bands they were playing, adopting this sort of transatlantic drawl and pretending to be something they weren't. These were two, you know, unusual-looking fellas um, with stories to tell, but they weren't afraid to tell those stories in their natural accent. Yeah. And it was weird and unfashionable, mm. and it really stood out. And so it became like a way of remembering Dundee. Yeah. So obviously, you know, Letter from America and later 500 Miles. Um, but I, I always remember like Sunshine on Leith coming out and and it being so sort of beautiful and so unashamedly Scottish. Yeah. They weren't trying not to be. Yeah. Um, that it had a, a, a real impact on me yeah. it, well, into my teens, you know. This a Absolutely beautiful record, that. It is. Um, did you see the... You're going to say the football match. Oh, my God. <laughs> I uh, did, and I showed it to my son, and, and I showed know it to what? my daughter. I'd, I had Colin Murray do this, uh -huh. and, and he chose football songs, like right. the, the crowd sing, and he, and he sent me this, and he went, have you ever seen Sunshine and Leaf with Hibs fans? And I was like, no. Yeah. And I watched it, and it was pure goosebumps. I was like, it's so, wow. It is. It's goosebumps. It's unity. Yeah. It's... It's enjoyment. It's um, heart filling. Yeah. Um, and it's everybody. Yeah. You know, you can imagine zooming in and seeing the police horses joining. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so for me, you know, that song in particular, and and I, I would always remember because my mum would be in the kitchen. She'd be making, you know, she'd be chopping a carrot or something, and then we'd put on that album, yeah. you know, again and again. There's one song called um, Jean which yeah. you always like because the, the lady next door to us in Dundee was called Jean. And there's a moment, because I was always playing tricks on my mum, there's a moment in the song that just descends into this sort of raucous chaos where the, Charlie and Craig Reed are just singing, love her, I love her, I love her. And it just goes on for about a minute. And I convinced my mum that they were singing about Loughborough and just going, <laughs> Loughborough, 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 which I think she may still believe on some level. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was terrible like that with mum. I remember convincing her that a cat could talk. How do you convince someone that a cat can talk? Well, she can't hear very well in one ear, so she finds it hard to place where sound has come from. And <laughs> she loves cats so much, and she's such a golden-hearted woman, that she would wish for nothing more in this world than for a cat to be able to speak. Right. That would, I think that okay. would make everything brilliant. Um, and we just walked in one day, and she went, Hello, Sammy, to our cat. And then I just went, Hello, Mrs. Wallace. And she spun around and looked me in the eye and went, Did you hear that? <laughs> did uh, you roll with it I roll with it for a bit yeah <laughs> and then I had to sort of bring her back down to earth and yeah because you know, so it could get weird couldn't it it could get weird <laughs> you know he turns up I'd I, I have to take it further and get him a top hat hello I've interrupted the podcast again haven't I sorry it won't take a sec all I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast if we can't play them it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such so if you want to hear the songs just go over to spotify and 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there... I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Did you watch the recent documentary about the Proclaimers on, on BBC Three? No. Oh, Danny, you need to watch it. On BBC Three? No, I had no BBC idea. BBC Three or BBC Four? What's the one that does all the music documentaries? Music, uh, BBC Four, I Four. think. Four. Um, Oh, it's cracking. Mate. Is it? Yeah, absolutely cracking. Um, and they really hone in on the fact that they sung in their accents at right. a time when Deacon Blue wet, wet, wet. Yeah. And all of these Scottish bands that were blowing up weren't singing in no, their they accents. No. And, and they couldn't sound more Scottish, really, could they? No. And, and uh, um, you know, I, I, I want them to sound as Scottish as possible. Yeah. Um, and when you see them, you know, you just look up on YouTube, you just see them with a crowd and it's just this raw they don't look like the type of men that you would imagine would have this kind of raw power yeah. and raw emotion and yet almost more than anyone you know they, they really do because yeah. they care and they're political um, they can be a bit uh, raunchy at times which I find uncomfortable <laughs> Right, tell me about when the Proclaimers have ever been raunchy, <laughs> well, because say, I've never seen it. They, you know, it's lyrically, lyrically right. they, um, they say a few things, you know, about, uh, you know, for your stolen body, my heart's going to pound. Um, and, you know, I don't know about the word stolen in that context, I'm not quite, or uh, stretching inside, you know, there's, there's various things yeah. they say. Um, Do that, not need to be thinking of them brothers doing no, no, stuff no. like that. No, 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 no. Okay, so... So you've moved, Dan, from Dundee. Did you enjoy school? Yeah. Yeah, school was fine. Um, it, was, it was, yeah, it was fine. I mean, um, I, I always liked doing the project stuff. Yeah. Um, I think I talked to Pip about that as well. Just like the, I was never into the, um, <laughs> I don't want to say the learning. <laughs> but, you know, I, I liked it when I was given a thing that was mine to do. And then I would just go off and do it. Right. Um, and I think that's something I carried with me. So you created from a very young age. Well, it was it was it was more that okay. So this is now my responsibility to do this thing. To yeah, I suppose yeah, create this thing. And it could have been about the most tedious thing in the world, but I would put my all into it. And um, and so I suppose that kind of informed what I what I did yeah. later on. 
But equally, I would say, as much as that, things like, you know, we talked about Back to the Future and that idea of a, a big concept. That kind of thing always stuck with me. When I first saw Ghostbusters, when I first saw Back to the Future, when I saw any of those films, that idea that here's a big what if, now let's have fun with it. Let's see where it takes us. So you have that initial idea that hooks, um, and then the fun is in how it plays out. And that, I suppose, has also been, you know, quite instructive to what I've done over the years. I was about to say that, yeah, yeah. very much so. so. it's that thing of, what if I do this? Yeah. Where is the fun? Yeah. Let's go find it. Yeah. Um, and so, that's reflective yeah. in your writing, obviously, as well. And, and I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, absolutely. It's, um, it's that thing of, it, it, it's a, a mixture of school projects and back to the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so when you moved to Berlin, how old was you then? Um, I would have been 12, 13. Right, so when you come back, secondary school was where? We moved to Bath. Okay. Which um, only happened, I, th- I think that only happened when, when we were in Berlin, that, that that happened. So then it was like, all right, I'm not going back to my old mates, I, I suppose. We're going somewhere else. And so we moved to Bath, and um, I didn't know anything about it. Um, we, I just knew that, that we kept moving south, and so our houses kept getting smaller. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then we're in this little place in Bath. And uh, I remember going out the first night with mum and dad to explore, and we got as far as McDonald's, and we just bought McDonald's. And as we walked home, someone in a bush threw an egg at my dad. <laughs> um, it didn't smash, it just bounced off him. But yeah. it, was, it was weird. Yeah. It was still like, where have we moved? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. And... Um, it was harder to make And friends. that's horrible, right? It was weird. Yeah. It was, but it was just some kids up in it. I mean, you know, and I'm as guilty. I've never thrown an egg at a man. But, um, you know, I, I did things like that when I was a teenager. Yeah. I remember, yeah, because I say I used to play tricks on my mum. She would walk around Bath sometimes with a sign on her back that just said, I'm a wise old woman. Um, and then she'd get home and she'd be like, everyone was really friendly to me in town. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I'd take it too far sometimes because it would be that thing of like liking a little project. I remember there was a man down our street who I assume has long since passed now, Mr. Montgomery. And I doubt he'd mind me saying this anyway because it's all true. But, you know, he used to hate the fact that we used to play football on the street. He used to put notes on my dad's car if my dad parks a metre away yeah. from where he should have. Yeah. And he used to... Um, he had all these pot plants in his, uh, in his porch, loads and loads of pot plants. And so one day, I thought I'm going to teach him a lesson. And I had a really basic computer, and I made, um, I made a letter. And the letterhead was, um, hay fever suffers unite. And I wrote this letter to Mr. And I'm not, I don't have a hay fever, but I wrote a letter to Mr. Montgomery just saying, dear Mr. Montgomery, we recently had an agent um, paroling the streets, uh, patrolling the streets in your area and found that the number of pot plants in your porch um, exceeds our national guidelines. Of course. Um, please limit the number of pot plants uh, to either uh, uh, six large or eight small or further action will be taken, right? Just did that, whatever, it was a bit of fun. But I thought, take the joke further. So I said it was from uh, Dr. Simon Davies, right? And Simon was a kid at school. And I put his number, thinking Mr. Montgomery will phone Simon and go, yeah. what is this? And it'll be funny, just an extra little joke. Yeah. Anyway, I woke up uh, about two days later, and it was Simon's mum. Okay. And she went, I think Simon's been kidnapped. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sure he hasn't. What, uh, what do you mean? And she went, we had this phone call from a man asking for Dr. Simon Davies and blah, blah, blah. And she got into her head that... Therefore, Simon had been kidnapped, which is a leap yeah. to make. 
Anyway, I reassured her. I didn't admit it at that point. Yeah, of course. Um, but then she phones back and goes, do you have access to printing equipment? And I said, yes, we've got a printer. And I admitted it. And then I had to wait for my mum to get home. And I thought, this is the worst thing anyone's ever... This is like a war crime. And my stomach was churning. I, my eyes were wet. Secretly quite pleased, though. No, I was terrified. Really? Yeah. And I told my mum, and then I looked up, and she was weeping with laughter. So that was the kind of house I grew up in. That's a great mum. Great mum. Great dad. They both just went, brilliant. That's yeah. great. It's imaginative. <laughs> well, generally when I, I do these, I, I like to ask, was, um, was your creativity? And, and Because am I right in saying when you was at school, you was writing for computer game magazines? Yeah. Okay. So was yeah. that in Bath? That was in Bath, yeah. Um, it happened because I got a headache. Um, I got a headache one day. I didn't get much pocket money, and I wasn't really old enough to, to get a job, um, I thought. I later worked at Argos. Um, but I managed to get a, a computer magazine. <coughs> I was starting to get into Sega, I think because I hadn't made proper friends yet. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I started reading about video games in the hope that I could buy a Mega Drive one day or whatever. And I saw these pictures of this team of people who were like, all having fun. And I recognized a building that they were standing near. And then I realized that this magazine was in Bath. Okay. So when work experience kind of came around, or an early sort of type of work experience, um, I was given the option of, of doing some very, very dull things. And so I was like, can I try and get something? And they were like, sure. So I managed to get my way into this magazine. What was it called? It was called Sega Power. And um, this was just a bunch of, uh, I mean, for me, they were like grown-ups, yeah. right? I would assume they were sort of our age if I'd yeah. been that age again. But no, they were all about 23. Yeah. And had just been given big budgets at a time when these magazines were selling loads and could just have fun. And it was like going into a sort of university campus um, where everyone was cool, um, in my eyes, <laughs> um, and, and, and they were getting paid to play games. And so I managed to write a review for them. Someone got sick um, for a week or so, and they offered me a job. So I did more and more and more, and um, I, I stuck with them. And then they all left that magazine and went to different magazines. So suddenly I was writing proper for loads of magazines, yeah. including uh, about things I had no idea. I ended up working for Nintendo magazine as well. Um, they had a tips guy yeah. called Alan who got the job because he was like the Nintendo champion, and then he didn't do it anymore. So I took it over and called it Don't Ask Alan. But I was answering people's questions about Nintendo games that I'd never played. And how old was you then? Um, uh, I think I that was probably from about fourteen. So she getting paid to do this as well then? Yeah, it was it was extraordinary. I remember standing outside Dixon's, um, and I'd just been given a check for a hundred quid for um, uh, which was an unthinkable amount of money. Yeah, and I was just looking, you know, I could buy anything. Yeah, and I bought a Discman. Wow. So um, you know, I'd upgraded from the Walkman yeah. that I used to listen to Johnny Be Good on. Yeah. Um, and then that got me into sort of more music because I could suddenly it was exciting when you know yeah. I, could, I could get my own CDs and take control of my own thing. And yeah. I was doing that writing for those magazines, but I was still I, th I think I still had a paper round. Um, so you know I was I was mixing it up. And so you're writing shows how keen I was to get into the media if I'm also doing a paper round. Absolutely, you know, media yeah. distribution, <laughs> media distribution professional. But was you writing encouraged at school as well? Well, yeah. Did they I pick up on the fact that you had a flair for it? Um, I suppose. Suppose, yeah, I suppose because my English teachers would, um, they would, they tolerate a bit of um, fun from me as well. But are aware that you was a published 
uh, magazine writer. I think so, but I think it was still very... Even though these magazines were selling in the hundreds of thousands, I mean, if you don't know about Sega, it's an invisible world. Of course, yeah. Um, it's just hidden. Um, but they would encourage me. They'd encourage a bit of fun. I'd do stuff like... Um, I remember finishing an English exam early. Um, and I had about five minutes to spare. Yeah. So I just got another piece of paper, and I wrote the worst possible essay I could, as quickly as I could, and then just handed it in under someone else's name. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that they would know it was me yeah. you know, eventually. And, and I remember, you know, in our design and communication lessons or whatever, my mate, Little Dan, he was called Little Dan because he was about an inch shorter than me, um, he'd spent ages designing a shopping centre called the Paragon, and it had taken him, like, months and months and then um, great name for a shopping centre good name and then I um, uh, when teacher was taking register I just gave her an envelope and it had little Dan's name on it and she looked at me as if to go what are you doing and I looked at her as if to go just trust me and she nodded and then she gave it to little Dan and went there's a letter here for you and in it was again I'd written another letter with a fake letterhead um, from uh, Paragon Shopping Centres International who as part of their school <laughs> outreach programme had stumbled across <laughs> his, uh, his work <laughs> <laughs> and we're now about to launch a uh, a major court case against him. Yeah. And then it was all about just that moment of just looking over and seeing, <laughs> but then not letting him believe it for too long. Yeah. But the teachers were sort of in on it. So I had fun with them. Yeah. Um, maths, no. History, no. Geography, apart from doing a project, uh, yeah. no. Science, no. Yeah. But mucking about and being a bit creative, but doing it in a way that hopefully felt... Um, I mean, those are stupid examples, but they, they, they were a whole in some way. Yeah. It was a moment. It, it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. And it got the result I wanted. Yeah. And it was just, and it, and it bonded us a bit. Yeah. And They're it, transferable no, skills, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. And there was no malice. It was yeah. like a sort of, hey. And I welcome it when people do it to me. Yeah. I love it, in fact. Okay. Um, so we'll go back a little bit now. Um, I imagine looking at the sort of the, the song choices that I've already. Um, been discussed track four danny is the first record you remember buying ah yeah so um i bought it at woolworths um i went with my dad to the midland bank where i had a griffin savers account did you get the bag the midland bank bag i got the pencil case the blue pencil case yeah yep. with the griffin on it and i got the um the id card which made me feel yeah uh, like a meant nothing meant nothing yeah <laughs> but made me feel like a man yep. Um, and uh, I withdrew, I think it was £1.75, something like that. It, it, you know, so I still had about 50p to my name. And I went in and I bought um, Lionel Richie Dancing on the Ceiling. Yeah. Because I'd seen it on Top of the Pops. And you, if you haven't seen a video, you won't believe it. They all dance on the ceiling. Yeah. And it's extraordinary. It's equal parts shit and brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's shilliant. Or Brit. <laughs> you know. But it's, um, it, it was just, it was great. It was this marriage of um, a, 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 a strange idea, but with a, a, a song that you could really kind of get into. Yeah. And, it, and the song just reminded you of the video. Yeah. And it, it made me happy. And um, so I've still got it. And so I went, um, yeah, I went and I got that. Um, I would always have to go on a Saturday, if I had any money, to withdraw some and, and buy. I bought Way of the Exploding Fist was the first video game I ever bought. Oh, that's a good start. Great. And that was from the same, on the BBCB, uh, and that was from the, the, same, uh, the same Woolworths. So it's amazing when you look back at shops like that, that are now gone, uh, and you just remember those, that, those kind of high street, Loughborough High Street, you know, the Wimpy, 
the Woolworths. And that's all you needed, really. <laughs> Woolworths. I mean, you've, you've, you've mentioned, like, going in there and buying your computer games and, and buying your records. But you would walk past an island of pick mix like nowhere else <laughs> yeah. in the world, wouldn't you? No, it was, it was a, oh, what a beautiful, it was a field of dreams. <laughs> it really was. A real field of dreams. Never bought any, though. It just I always struck me they'd be really expensive as a kid. Well, I, was, was like, I, was, I just remember Ian Fletcher doing the thing that we all did. We all had a mate who would go there, take a suite off the pick and mix, put it on the scale. It yeah. wouldn't register. And he'd go, well, I guess it's free. <laughs> and then he'd wolf it down. And you would, you'd walk out, but with a real spring in your step in case you were tackled by yeah. security. Yeah. Never happened. Never happened. I've never done that. But like, that's the sort of thing that like, the tough kids in school would do that. Oh, yeah. Like, um, okay, so... You, you kind of you've started sort of listening to things like the Proclaimers and things like that. So was there a real kind of passion to sort of pursue music a little bit more as, as you sort of getting a little bit older? Had you found what you wanted to sort of what genres appealed to you and what not? Moving up, I'm moving forwards to get to the next question, which is your, your time well, in Clubland. But before we get there, just wondering about them sort of years between sort of finishing school and getting to the age where you can go clubbing and well, stuff. Well, there's, there's a great age where all music is new music. Yeah. Um, and you don't know really what you're into yet, but your friends are starting to peel off. Yeah. And um, one friend is into hip hop, and another friend is, you know, uh, is just into straight out capital FM pop or whatever yeah. and I, I, I never found after that I suppose I went through a brief stock ache in Waterman period yeah. you know because that was those were the cultural icons at the time yeah. your Kylie's and your Jason Donovan's and stuff like that and it's just blasted at you you can't go to the roller disco without it being yeah. pure stock ache in Waterman the whole time yeah. and then you sort of your tastes mature and people start passing you uh, tapes for me actually the tapes that I would get would be comedy things yeah. like that and so I would I would kind of and I think that weirdly I started to get into musical comedy or, or rather things like Tom Lehrer who was this uh, 1950s and 60s satirist who was singing about things that I had no idea what he was talking about he was talking about you know the vice president in 1965 but he would create these wonderful songs and musical comedy has always had detractors and people who um think it's easy or whatever and it isn't I think I could never do it um but to create a, a, a well-crafted song that's that's not only lovely to listen to and catchy but says something and is funny with it um you know I had a period where where I was just listening to things like Tom Lehrer and then you know the age hits where you you find out what you think is is cool or what speaks to you and for me it was um there were two great wars going on in the 90s, after the Gulf War, of course, there was uh, Sega versus Nintendo, and there was Oasis versus Blur. Yeah. So I was, you know, I survived yeah. the, the deadly indie wars yeah. of the mid-90s. Yeah. Um, and it was difficult to sort of come up with one, because there were so many. I remember my first real gig that I went to, well, then my first comedy gig was John Shuttleworth. So again, that's, that's music and yeah. comedy. And, you know, maybe I should have chosen something like that. Um, but after that, it was Oasis yeah. in a, a, a little cricket club, a Bath Pavilion cricket ground or whatever, um, right before they did Glastonbury, I think. Um, so, so those big songs, and there seemed to be thousands of bands. There just seemed to be, seemed like everyone had an indie band. I think it was 
that was definitely the case, though. I think in, in the, the mid-90s, definitely off the back of the explosion of Britpop, yeah. bands were being signed left, right and centre, more Every, so than probably, you know, any time since that, for sure. Yeah, it just seemed like there were thousands of them. Yeah. And um, So was you frequenting the Moles Club like, yeah, regular? absolutely. that was the toilet circuit venue of Bath, wasn't <laughs> yeah, it, where it you'd see the breaking bands? Yeah, yeah, Moles. Um, Moles was, uh, there were some sweaty, sweaty nights in there. Um, you know, the clubs around Bath, we, they were all the ones that, the, they had that classic sort of beer-soaked carpet. Yeah. But also Bath being quite subterranean, um, you got used to the smell of what seemed to be fox urine. Yeah, uh, you know, I can't walk past a fox these days. Yeah. without being reminded of nineties uh, clubbing. Of course. <laughs> okay, so I mean, but going back a little bit before, sort of Oasis was what ninety four, ninety five, ninety six. Yeah. I imagine when, because you're forty six. Forty two. You're forty two. Yeah. Oh, might want to check your don't Wikipedia. Say, don't say it like that. Might want to check your Wikipedia. <laughs> um, it's oh, not okay. a good sign when someone goes, uh, you're 46, and you go, I'm 42, and you go, you're 42? <laughs> <laughs> so rude of me, sorry. Um, right, so now I'm seeing why I'm getting a little bit confused here then, because I'm thinking, well, if we're the same age, I am a few years older than you now, that I was presuming... Yeah, you just thought I had infantile tastes in there. I, I, <laughs> I <read> a lot. <laughs> You're going, what? So you would have caught Britpop right as it was happening. Yeah, it right. hit me. It okay. was my, it was my, it, it was my, my lot that yeah. we're like into. You know, that was that was us. Um, and so, and but what was also interesting was going into that Sega magazine, and um, because those people were slightly older than me, um, being exposed to their stuff as well, um, or in the middle of you know the Britpop thing, you would have your Blurs and your Oasis and your Elasticas and and all these Route One obvious choices, but you would also be exposed to in the office things like uh, Blue Tones, yeah, and their their sort of um, lyrical beauty and a little bit of whimsy and and you know uh, an emotion again, you know proper yeah. proper. Mark Morris knows that to write a record. He certainly does. Um, so that was on a that was on a loop as well. Yeah. But I chose for this um, just as the thing that sums up being that age at that time, something slightly iconic. Um, and so I, I went for yeah, Elastica Connection. What a tune! Just dun 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 dun. And again, immediately you hear that those the, those opening notes, and you're just like, I know where I am. Yeah. And it's 1995. Yeah. And if you're not in an indie club, you're watching Trigger Happy TV, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, aside from Moles, Moles was more in Bath, I guess that was more the sort of live side of things. Were yeah. there indie clubs or, which, or did mainstream clubbing appeal to you as well? Would you kind of, because uh, there's always been like the sort of tan clubs that play the more yeah. commercial dance music. Did that ever appeal? Uh, look, I tried. Yeah. I gave it a go. Was it for you? It didn't really speak to me in that way. Um, uh, I'd see my mates uh, if I was with like five mates three of them would suddenly go insane and um, I'd talk to the other one because <laughs> I was like I don't quite this isn't quite me um, <clears throat> I guess I just I, uh, you know I like um, I guess I like guitars yeah um, I don't know I, I just couldn't it, I guess for some people some things just don't quite connect in that way and maybe yeah. if I'd been born five years either side yeah I'd have had those influences so, what did you want from a night out clubbing? Well, 
it was never I'm, I'm quite happy um, going out uh, at that stage it was it was going out beers music the idea that you might meet someone uh, not meeting someone <laughs> and then um, sitting on top of uh, the public toilets eating a hamburger yeah um, those were my Friday yeah. nights um, and my Saturday nights with my pals um, the drugs thing I never got into and be, and because I'm, I'm I think I'm quite naive to it as well because I would go out with those guys from the magazines and it would not occur to me that they had suddenly taken something and were behaving in a more energetic fashion my immediate thing was to blame myself and go I need to up my game um, I need to keep up yeah, uh, and so that would give me sort of an energy boost in itself, and I would be yeah. able to because I'd be like, disappeared for five minutes. He came back, and he's like, he's full of beans. This guy. Yeah. Um, so, and they were quite protective of me as well, and I was like a little brother, and so they didn't want to expose me to that either, which I appreciate. Yeah. So I never got into that side of things. On did a you, night, did uh, you ever sort of try? No, because I didn't either. Yeah, and uh, because I was too worried that it would. I'm a bit of bit of a control freak to a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and if I'm not in control of it, then I'd be a bit worried. But but just looking at things like Yes Man and yeah. things like that, where and, and going back to what you said earlier of like, let's see what happens. Yeah. How comes that never sort of applied there? Oh, well, maybe there's a, there's a there's slightly... I mean, in my days in, you know, going to the clubs and stuff, there was never anything there. With, um, with, with Yes Man, yeah, you do um, open yourself up to another world. Yeah. But... I was, you know, apart from, uh, you know, uh, an incident in Amsterdam, there's never really been a, a moment where people come up to me and just yeah. kind of go, can I give you drugs and will you take them now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because people will say that about Yes Man. They'll be like, oh, it must have been uh, great with girls. And you're like, well, girls don't generally come up and go, hello, stranger. Yeah. Would you want to do this? Yeah. Because um, that would have been an easy, an easy well, yes. Well, that's something I want to say then, because y- you're talking about being able to be quite a confident kid mm. and, and, and you said and that's obviously carried on through your children now where they can walk into a room and say hello yeah. how are you when you was clubbing would that apply to girls could you ever go up to a girl and go hello can I buy you a drink could you do that no 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 absolutely not even okay. now I feel awkward you're even shifting around on your hands <laughs> just thinking about you <laughs> yeah. doing it it's horrible <laughs> uh, no not really I think um, y- y- you know you have to um, gradually wear someone down over a period of months um, through uh, conversation and hope um, that they initiate something yeah <laughs> that's the master plan yeah wear them down through conversation yeah um, you know but um, no so I, I was never that guy and um, none of my friends were either yeah um, and we were never I don't hang out with lads yeah when I see or I hear stories about lads I can't quite understand it with the Me Too movement, like I've sat down with my friends and gone, who are these guys? And how, like, how uh, have we missed it? Are we them? Do we? Are, are we part of this? How yeah. do we do it? Um, and um, you know, I think there are there are just different ways of behaving that I, I haven't really. I suppose by choice because you can choose your friends, and um, you you just end up gravitating towards people like you. You end up gravitating towards the people who probably don't go up to women in clubs. Yeah. Um, and do that because they're, you know, well, A, they've probably gone off with the woman, so they're no longer there to have a pint with you. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. I was completely the same, mate. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about radio a little bit as yeah. well. Um, 
because was X the first station that you worked on? As a presenter, yes, I think it was. I, I'd done like docs and stuff like that, um, uh, you know, documentaries about this and that, but I had never done a, right, sit down, this is just me, um, until, until then. How did that come about? Um, I think they just asked me. They asked me to come in and have a chat, and then I had to record like a little taster, just 10 minutes, and I brought my mate in. Um, I wanted someone to bounce off. And my mate is this, uh, he's, <laughs> now he's doing really well. At the time, he was um, spending his time between comedy and acting and being a scaffolder. But he had the poshest voice you've ever heard, but also the gentlest voice. And he's a real gentle soul. Not qualities you generally find in a scaffolder. No. <laughs> He'd have to sort of, you know, um, beef himself up a bit when talking yeah. to the lads on the spanners, as he yeah. calls it. But he uh, he had this really kind of gentle demeanour. and Because I, I wanted the show to be different from all the other stuff, of not just men shouting at each other, yeah. but having a chat and getting to know the listener and being friendly. Mm. Because, as with writing, radio is the purest way, I think, to kind of make a friend. A friend you can't see, a friend you probably won't meet, but you have to make friends with them, just as you do if you're in a hotel in Spain with your parents and you have to walk into the games room. Sure. You have to disarm them a bit and talk to them like you've known them a while. And um, that's what I've always tried to do with my, with my work. I think because it, it, it sort of comes naturally, whether it's uh, an article or whether it's a book or whether it's a radio show, I want it to feel like we're already friends, which is why when people come up to me on the street and they'll say, oh, I read your thing, I ask them what it was because then it feels like we've already had that conversation and I know what they know yeah. and we can just start from there rather than, you know, oh, nice to meet you. Hello, I'm Danny. Yeah. We're already pals. Yeah. And radio is like that every, every day or every week um, and you do develop um, a real affinity with people you can't see because you're part of their life for those few hours a day. Was their nerves sort of going into to something like that? I guess the like first that. time you do it, because it also it was a four-hour show. You replaced Ricky, right? I think it was. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. It was a yeah Saturday. Um, yeah, and that's difficult. I've done that's happened a couple of times where I've stepped in after. You never want to be the guy after the guy. Yeah, of course. It's a kiss of death usually. Mm. You know, you don't want to be the guy who takes over from Chris Evans after he's done the big breakfast. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be whoever's going to take over from Graham Norton one day. You want to be the guy after that. Yeah. Um, or girl, girl or, or lady or woman yeah. I don't know what I'm saying you know what I mean when I say, <laughs> no, what when mean, I say guy I'm saying people that's, that's I always use it that way but um, you, you know so stepping in after uh, Ricky or as I did uh, Adam and Joe when they were away from Six Music um, or Russell Brand recently on X they've already got a bunch of people who yeah. tune in for them that's a big shoes there aren't they yeah and you have to come in and kind of go I'll be your mate too yeah and I'll do it in a way that's sympathetic to the things you like about the other person, but I'm going to do my own yeah. thing. Um, and we can have this as well. Uh, but there was no doing it the first time. I guess that was 2007 or eight on then XFM. Yeah. But it's really when you're looking at, you know, they call it a clock. You've got a clock to fill for each hour. And there's a number of times you know you're going to speak for five, six, seven minutes. And you maybe know what you're going to say for the first two, but after that, what, what, how, how am I going to speak for four hours? But you do. You crack on because yeah. you, 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 you become friends with the listener and you draw on them and you get their text and you get their ideas and it gives you an idea for something else and then you yeah. bring them in and blah, blah, blah. And narratives form and stories are told and things are shared. Um, 
And so it is like friendship, you know. Excellent. Track six, Danny. I don't know your answer for this yeah. one. I know, so, I struggled uh, with this. I'm going in blind. But well, I'm not surprised because it's a favourite song from an artist from your home county. Yeah, well, or your you hometown. Know, where so do I go? Where, where are you going? <laughs> yeah. Well, I decided to keep it pure and go for uh, Dundee, which is in Angus. Um, yeah, no, some people, well, yeah, Angus Tayside, but Angus. And so I was looking up, who's from Angus? The View. The View, same genes. Yeah. That's a nice track. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I think Alex no Alex Capranos is from Glasgow I think so that, that's miles away I'm sure they're Glaswegian yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I mean you know you mentioned them earlier um, Deacon Blue I think were formed in Glasgow but Ricky Ross I believe was born in Dundee okay so, but as we've established as you um, you know um, slagging them off earlier for not staying true to their <laughs> Scottish roots I love Deacon Blue <laughs> When you flipped the table <laughs> and said the Proclaimers are the only true Scottish band. Absolutely. Oh, I bet you edit that out. Yeah. That's why you didn't hear it. Uh, he didn't do that. But um, uh, Real Gone... Kid? Real Gone Kid. Oh. I remember being in a, in a car park waiting for my dad to pick up some fish and chips or something. And that came on. And just sitting in the car and hearing that and thinking that's good. But I had no idea that he was born in Dundee. Yeah. So that, this really is a choice-based... Um, on subsequent research, yeah. rather than pure passion. Yeah. Oh, they, they had some crackers, but I, I think on the same album, that Wage You Stay was another single off of that. Uh-huh. And that's a fantastic record. And I think they were back playing again last year. I'm sure they'd done really? Park last year. Really? And, uh, and that's a good place for them as well. Yeah, of course. A really yeah. good place for them. The, the, those sorts of, um, you know, the, when, the, when the crowd, somewhere like Tea in the Park, gets behind a song. Yeah. They really get behind a song. You need to... When you're uh, going on YouTube to watch Marty McFly yeah. play with uh, Coldplay, with yeah. here, also check out Proclaimers doing Sunshine and Leaf at Tea in the Park <laughs> last year. <laughs> Don't worry. That'll rip you in half, that one, mate. <laughs> Did you ever get to see Deacon Blue? No, I didn't. No. Was no. gigging a big thing for you? Um, or is it still? It's. It could have been... And yet, comedy sort of took over my social, my going out. There was um, there was a comedy club in Bath called the Fez, um, which was in a nightclub called Cadillacs, um, which again was sticky beer, um, maybe less fox urine. Yeah. But um, they started to bring in comics, and so when I was around seventeen, that's where I went. So mates were peeling off and going to gigs or going to moles and I would go to the comedy club taking with me whoever I can could to see whoever was on like whoever was on um, and it's where I you know I saw people like you know Tim Vine um, uh, um, Rich Hall all these kind of people who more than 20 years ago were playing this little club I would go and see and so that sort of stopped me in a sense because that took up that that plugged that gap for me mm-hmm. um, for the live music. I still listened to loads of music and I'd still you know be um, properly into what I was properly into, but for some reason yeah the comedy um, um, hit me where music hits others. Yeah, and how quickly did you think right? Well, I want to have a bit of this. I think um, immediately it sort of spoke to me because I I could kind of understand the rhythms and understand the... Um, well, I was fascinated by the techniques 
in the same way that someone going to a gig and seeing a, a musician that they fall in love with for the first time, who have an affinity with that music, it's very similar with comedy. Um, there, I, I feel anyway. Um, the, the, the rhythm of it, the the pacing, um, closing on something big, you know, uh, that is what kind of really spoke to me, and which which um, I don't know. It's not like you have to make a choice, but but that was all consuming. It's really weird that you say about. Um the rhythms and timings in, in, in comedy because it's something that like personally I never really I just take it for granted I imagine um, as just someone in an armchair watching a bit of comedy or going to see it but I spoke to someone and they were saying they're very good friends with Mickey Flanagan and oh, I went yeah. to the O2 to watch Mickey Flanagan do his stand up and they said the thing that's quite strange there for the because obviously like lots of comedians are now rock stars aren't they yeah, yeah, these yeah. multiple nights at, at, the, at the O2 you know things like this and they're saying that when you deliver the joke, because it's so big, the wave of laughter <laughs> is different when it comes back to you. So you, you initially sort of get the laughter from the front part of the venue, mm. but the back part sort of comes a little bit after. And so you don't get an instant roar. You get a kind of semi-muted average laugh. So it kind of messes with you. It can your... mess with people. I mean, yeah, I remember seeing... Um, I remember uh, like judging a comedy award or whatever, and there had been several acts who'd been fine um, and it was a slightly strange setup for the room so uh, you know it's hard to see what they were kind of feeling but then this other guy came on Mark Haynes um, he came on and from his first joke the atmosphere changed and there was a physical it, it felt like something from a film you know when there's an explosion that rips through and things are flying and dust is going that's how it felt just a woof that went through the room um, and it was a woof of sort of confidence and we're in safe hands and this yeah. is going to be good. And, um, you know, there, there are those rhythms that, that, that we've mentioned. There are word choices. There's a lot that goes into, you know, I, I talked to Michael McIntyre about it once, about the, the moment of creation or when you, you know that something is going to go somewhere. You just don't know where it is yet. It's like humming the first few bars of something that's going to be a song. Yeah. And you know there's something in it. And he said that, that that's, that's his thing as well. He thinks there's something in that. And so I said to him, tell me something right now that you think there's something in, that you haven't worked out what the something is. And he was just like, oh, it's a silly little thing. It's not funny, but, you know, you get into the pool and it's freezing and everyone looks at you and they don't want to get in the pool because it's freezing. And then you have to say, it's fine. It's fine once you get in. And that's something we all recognize. But it's how do you make that sort of, bigger and better and yeah. funnier and even more relatable and how do you bring characters to it yeah. and the other point of view and all this kind of stuff um, and about two years later I watched him on TV and he'd found the thing Yeah. and it was now you know four minutes um, and whatever you think of him I happen to think that he's, a, he, he's great yeah. um, uh, the fact that he can speak through a TV screen and make an entire country yeah. um, or a lot of them um, laugh at home yeah. stone cold sober is is pretty good yeah absolutely your final track danny yeah well this brings me back in a sense to a lot of the things that we've been talking about um music and comedy okay and emotion yeah and a story and phrases and words and ideas well chosen um and it's uh, it's tim minchin um uh white wine in the sun 
and this is the song, this is the, you asked me to choose one that I think people should hear, right? Yeah. But they may not have, and perhaps lots have. Yeah. But if they can hear one, if they can hear a version of this which is recorded live, yeah. um, th that will make a big difference as well. It's a great song. It's a song just about uh, family and distance and tradition and safety and reassurance. Um, and it's really just a story of wanting to go home for Christmas, back to Australia, where obviously it's at that time of year sunny, and they'll, he knows that when he gets there, his mum and his dad and his sister, they're all going to be sitting outside waiting for him, drinking white wine in the sun. And the first time I heard it was at the Edinburgh Festival, and um, I was with my wife, and um, we knew Tim a bit at that stage, quite well, and, but we hadn't heard this song. And my wife's Australian, and her dad was, uh, uh, had, I think had just passed away. And so this was a, a very, very pure experience for her, knowing, you know, um, the kinds of things that Tim was talking about and, and the family and the sense of sure. wanting to be somewhere and do that thing. And so on that level, it, it speaks to me, but also just, it's just great. Yeah. It's just, it's touching and there's, it's funny. Um, and um, but yeah, best experienced live, and if not experienced live, heard as live. Fantastic. What are you up to right now, then, Danny? What's new? What's coming up? It's coming up. Um, I uh, I have to uh, uh, write a few scripts for a thing that may or may not happen. A lot of my job is for things that may or may not happen. Yeah. Um, but there's an American uh, American network interested in. Um, one of my ideas and so I have to write them a few scripts uh, before they go actually this was a giant mistake um, and uh, <laughs> never hear from them again <laughs> which, which happens yep. um, so I've got to write that and um, so that's a project which I enjoy because that's just me with a keyboard yep. and some ideas um, I do my show on Radio X which I greatly enjoy because mm -hmm. it's flexing a different muscle and um, having to be quite nimble um, yeah and there's other stuff like that in between books and, um, and all the rest of it and being a dad yeah and Sad to see the end of the shortlist. That was a shame. That was a big, yeah. big shame, yeah. I've been writing uh, for Shortlist magazine for over 11 years, I think. Yeah. Um, 560 columns, maybe, something yeah. like that. And, um, and it was a great column as well, man. I enjoyed doing it. I really did. And I thought it would be very weird the first week I didn't have to do it. Yeah. But actually, it was quite nice not having to notice something every week. Yeah. Not having to go, there's something in that. Yeah. Just being able to notice it and go, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a great magazine, and it's a real shame. Um, and, um, you know, a, a lot of people were made redundant, really good people who, in this day and age, it's difficult when they enter a market all at the same time. Yeah. Um, everything's kind of going online. Um, paper costs are up. Yeah. So uh, it's difficult. But um, it's, it was a great magazine with some brilliant teams who really sort of pushed the boundaries as well and, yeah. and were discussing things like male mental health before almost anyone else. So um, it did a good thing. Danny, thank you ever so much, Thank mate. you. It's I've, been I've an absolute really, pleasure. And we got away with it with no builders whatsoever. Absolutely. Thanks, mate. Cheers. There you go. Off the Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Danny Wallace. I don't need to tell you that he was wonderful because you've just listened to it. You're fully aware how wonderful he was. He was an absolute pleasure to sit with and... He was fascinating and interesting and kind and all the things that I hope this podcast is, is about, you know, nice people talking about interesting things. That's the kind of the concept for what I wanted it to be. And I just hope you've enjoyed it. 
and I guess I'll see you next time. Please, if you see us on the socials, like, love, share, retweet, and all of that malarkey. And if you can go over to iTunes and subscribe, that would be marvellous. If you want to find out about everything else Off The Beaten Track related, www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. See you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.